And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And we welcome you to another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert at 24-7 Sports and TheBigSpur.com. I have Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Lots to get to. Uh, you know, I, I don't like to, to, to brag on things, JC, but if you listen to our podcast last week, you were informed uh, about what is the status of a lot of things going on in college football. And there was so much misinformation out there. And I think we cleared up a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff you heard on this podcast a week ago, you would, you would later hear about two, three days later as being fact as opposed to fiction. Speaking of a man who is uh, full of facts, uh, Phil Steele has been doing his college football guide, I believe, 26 years. Is that right, Phil? Is this t- number 26? Yeah, number 26 this year. Makes me feel a little old, huh, guys? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I think it makes us all feel a little bit old. Uh, first off, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this story. But before you became a household name and kind of, uh, as I like to say, you you are the college football magazine of record. Um, No disrespect to the other ones, but in terms of pure information, uh, and that's what I go to a magazine for. I I don't need barbecue tips. I don't need uh, pictures of cheerleaders. I just, just the facts, ma'am. I just want the, the, the data. And uh, over time, you've established that reputation. But the way I was introduced to you was I was doing uh, hosting my radio show in uh, Columbia at the time. <clears throat> and a, a DJ from a country music station was somehow sent your magazine. He walks down the hall, and this guy knew about as much about football as I do about <laughs> sewing. And he says, Mike, I don't have any use for this. It's something about football. Would you like it? And I, I looked at it and I said, my goodness, this is unbelievable. This has got more information. This was in the early 2000s. Um, and I just knew then and there that I didn't know who you were and I didn't know where you came from, but I knew this was the magazine to have. Give a little background again on yourself on how you got this whole thing started. I appreciate that, Mike, and I appreciate you having me on way back then. I remember chatting with you back in the early 2000s, and um, you know, what I did is I I started a football newsletter way back in uh, 1984, and what I would do is I'd buy all the college football magazines that were out there, and there was a lot. There's probably like 15, 16 magazines, and I write down every piece of information I could get from all the magazines, and I basically got into it too deep, you know, barely into the too deep on these teams, not a lot of information overall. So I started compiling all the information myself uh, for my football newsletter, and then somebody came by my uh, desk one day, and they said, Phil, look at all this stuff you got here. They go, why don't you turn that into a magazine? So I said, okay, give it a shot, and um, put it out there, and the the main thing that is happened is, you know, once somebody gets a copy in their hands, it's like getting 130 different media guides rolled into one. They're going to want it the next year because it does have about four times the amount of information in any other magazine. So the early one was actually black and white on newsprint. Was that one black and white or was it full color, Mike? Wow. I, the one I got was color. I remember that. Okay. Yeah, we started black and white on newsprint in 1995. Somebody uh, kind of said it was like me selling magazines out of my trunk. <laughs> and then we, uh, we actually did turn it to full color. I think I was 
was 2000 was the first year we went into full color and uh it's gotten a little bit bigger a little bit better every year and now i talked this year i talked to a little over 110 of the head coaches out there obviously for you like everybody else involved uh in, in football whether it's jc covering it for his website or, or me covering it getting ready to call games uh, this year is is unorthodox it is far from ideal it's been downright uh, screwy and we still don't have every answer that we want although i think we're getting closer and closer to the to the reality uh, of what 2020 is going to look like in terms of college football how did this affect your preparation and getting the guide out this year well, you know, every year we send that last page to the press at the end of May because you want to be on the newsstands at least by July 4th. And uh, so I've always had that target date of the end of May, but uh, the governor of Ohio shut Ohio down for almost two full months starting in March. So in March, I was still coming in the office every day, working away, toiling away on the magazine, but I didn't have the staff here because you couldn't do that. And uh, so I said, there's no way we can get this thing out by the end of May. So we, we, I changed the deadline. Once the staff was allowed to return, I made a deadline, July 8th. And uh, they came back full force, ready to go. We started lining up the coaches' interviews. And, you know, the amazing thing about the coaches' interviews, guys, is, uh, you know, going into it, I didn't know what to expect. But pretty much every coach was the same way. Hey, next man up. You know, you lose your starting running back, you're going to put the second stringer in. You lose him, you put your third stringer in. you got to play the game. And that's how the coaches were with the practices. Hey, you, you, I feel sorry for you. you. had zero spring practices. Well, don't. You know, we had off-season conditioning. We got ready. We'll be ready to play when the season starts. That's pretty much everybody's uh, attitude. When I talked to them on the phone, all the coaches was next man up. We'll be ready to play. And uh, that got me fired up a little bit for the upcoming season. I think if you took a I'm sorry, I was going to say, JC, I think if you took a poll of the players, uh, there's a lot of that same mentality. I don't hear many, even though it's been announced uh, by multiple conferences. If you don't participate because your fear of COVID, uh, your, your scholarship will still be honored. Yet I don't hear about too many players wanting to back out at this point. Yeah, and I actually think that's going to make the season interesting. You know, I mean, that's that, that's the thing a lot of people don't understand. They're like, well, what if you're starting this gets – uh, has a positive test and has to sit or, or, or two linebackers are out. Well, you know, most of these teams are two or three deep. Uh, and if they're not, they got walk-ons, they can slide over there. So I'm glad to hear that there's that kind of enthusiasm uh, for playing through uh, what ultimately will be a bunch of challenges this year. Yeah, and it's it's pretty much what you would expect out of a, a college head. I didn't I didn't know what to expect, but after about fifteen of the uh, interviews as they were going by, uh, then it became my expectation. And really, no coach disappointed me. You know, uh, with with anything other than we'll be ready to play when the season starts. So I'm looking forward to some football, guys. Well, we are too. And, and Phil, one of the things, even in a regular season, a non-pandemic year, that we've talked about on this podcast the last few years is the growing cabal that there is in college football where it seems like we're really talking about the same handful of teams every year uh last year was a little bit of an outlier although i think we've always considered lsu a program that uh could get in the mix and win a title if things fall right of course they've won titles before and not that far distant uh, pass with two different head coaches and saban and miles and now you have another one with coach o but for the most part we've been talking about from the SEC, Alabama and Georgia, from the Big Ten, Ohio State, from the Big 12, Oklahoma, and from the ACC, 
Clemson. And it seems like every year in the playoff, we have multiple uh, teams from that handful I just mentioned. If you look at things again from a pure data standpoint. You've got all the recruiting composite rankings on all the players in your magazine. So I guess my question is when you look at it, are you the least bit surprised based on all the, the input that you put in and the output that it spits out that we're looking at the same teams every year? And do you see that trend changing anytime soon? Um, I can see it changing. I can see some newcomers breaking into it. Definitely. Uh, and you know, I have to be honest with you, the four teams you mentioned are my four top four teams in the country. I mean, they, they are the most talented teams, uh, coming into the season, but there are some teams out there in definitely challenge. And let me give you an example. Uh, I'm going to go to the ACC, you know, last year, I rated the ACC the sixth best conference in college football. Yeah, they're a power five conference. I rated the American ahead of, I mean, let's face it. It was Clemson. There was this Grand Canyon. And you guys tell me, who was the second best team in the ACC last year? Yeah, might have been North Carolina, uh, Virginia-ish, <laughs> Wake Forest. Yeah, was yeah. yeah, there really wasn't anybody, right? Yeah. Well, now this year, this year I think it's completely different. I think the Coastal Division is the most improved division in entire college football. You're looking at a team like North Carolina, which last year managed to go seven and six under Mac Brown. Remember, at one point they were four and six. They won their last three games uh, in dominant fashion to get there. Last year they were my number one hundred and three uh, team. Team on my experience chart this year they're all the way up to number 30 they got 17 returning starters plenty of talent mac brown's doing a good job recruiting as did uh fedora prior to him fedora just didn't have a lot of success with injuries his last two years they've got sam howell at quarterback they've got chance Surratt at linebacker they're loaded then you take a team like miami six and seven last year but much improved they had in a player like De'Ara king at quarterback who is dynamic at houston him coming in this year is a huge plus because quarterback play was the reason their offense was poor last year. And then you've got Gregory Rousseau at defensive end, 15 and a half sacks last year. Now you add in Quincy Roche, who was the American Conference Player of the Year on defense with his 13 and a half sacks. That's a pretty uh, formidable duel at the defensive end spot, plus a lot of talent back on D. Virginia Tech, 18 returning starters this year. They're all the way up to number five on my experience chart. And remember, they played so much better in the second half of last year when Hendon Hooker took over a QB and the defense started to get better as well. I think Justin Hamilton, who inherits 10 starters on the defense, will do a good job as defense coordinator filling in for Bud Foster. They're a dangerous team. And then how about the Pitt Panthers? They had three guys in defensive end, Patrick Jones, nose tackle Jalen Twyman, strong safety Paris Ford, who could have all gone to the NFL, all opted to return. Last year, they lost their top defensive end, Rashad Weaver, prior to the year, as well as one of their top defensive tackles, Kashawn Camp. Those guys are back as well. That's one of the better defenses out there. So I think when you look at the ACC itself, you can see that they're catching up to Clemson and there are some other teams out there across the country. Uh, Penn State's going to give Ohio State a challenge, I think, in the Big Ten. You go out to the uh, the Big 12, I think Oklahoma gets legitimate challenges this year from Texas and Oklahoma State. So I do think that the gap is narrowing and we've got the potential, especially with the lack of spring practices and whatever happens this year, where we could see uh, some new teams in the playoff spot. I noticed you didn't mention anybody from the Pac-12. <laughs> well, I like USC and Oregon. Here's my concern with the Pac-12 this year, guys. 
is they don't have any non-conference games to prove themselves. So I think the general consensus around the country is the Pac-12 is not there yet. And if they're just playing Pac-12 versus Pac-12 games, it's going to take an undefeated team. But I think USC and Oregon, if you go over their rosters talent-wise, their top 10 potential, their playoff potential. So I, I, I did slip past them, but that's because they're playing conference-only games. Yeah, I love Oregon's potential, especially up front as far as uh, their offensive line goes. I think they've built a big physical offensive line under Mario Cristobal that's a little bit different than um, a lot of the programs in the Pac-12. Phil, let me ask you about Miami because I I think Miami's very intriguing. I I thought of all the teams that face-planted in the ACC last year, none face-planted at the end as spectacularly as Miami (laughs) losing to Duke and – Florida International and Louisiana Tech like they did. Uh, nobody really talked about it. De'Eric King comes in as the quarterback from Houston. They have a new offensive coordinator. You mentioned that coastal division. Well, you know, where does Miami kind of fit in with uh, sort of the Virginia, Virginia Techs of the world? I mean, I mean, North Carolina, I have- Virginia Tech. Yeah. Yeah, I have Miami, my number one most improved team in the country this year. And you go back to that Duke game, if you're watching it, uh, you know, in the first half, Miami of Florida was winning the game and playing well. And then I believe they lost four offensive linemen to injury. And uh, in the second half, they basically had the second string offensive line on the field and generated one first down in that game. The Louisiana Tech game, you could say, well, you know, Miami was uh, disinterested. I mean, they didn't even score a point. I think they were the first Power 5 team not to score a point. But that said, Let's go back to this year. And, and with De'Ara King, I think, coming in, giving them quality quarterback play, they've got weapons. Uh, they like Brevin Jordan at tight end. He's one of the better tight ends in the country. They've got capable receivers, good running backs with Cameron Harris, uh, Cheney, and Burns. And the offensive line's a veteran group this year. So I think you're going to see a much improved offense to go along with those pass rushing defensive ends, overall solid defense. I've got Miami coming in second, but they are my number one most improved team. And it wouldn't surprise me if you look at their schedule this year uh you know their schedule is very manageable you look at the road trips in conference play georgia tech virginia wake forest are three teams they could beat on the road and then virginia tech might be a game that decides the coastal as well as at north carolina but it's it's going to be competitive in the coastal this year he is phil Steele. he is the author of really the bible of college football magazines mike morgan jc sherbert with you here on jc and morgan uh, Phil, we, we've, we've kind of uh, danced around it, but let's take a deep dive into the SEC. Uh, again, LSU had the breakthrough year last season, and they're certainly going to be good this year and years to come, but they lost a lot from a national championship team. Alabama, Georgia, once again in vogue in terms of who to pick uh, in the West and East, but I, I see a little more competition really in both divisions now, which has me excited. I think there's going to be some more people invited to the dance in terms of who is competing uh, to get to Atlanta this year. Yeah, I agree. In fact, you go to the East, I think everybody's uh, either going to pick Florida or Georgia. I've seen Florida is pretty much a trendy pick out there to win the East. Uh, I did go with Georgia because I'm a defensive guy, and I think Georgia might have the best defense in the country. They play so many players on the defense, they don't have the star uh, power of everybody else, but they got my number five D-line, number one set of linebackers, number four DBs. And a quarterback play, yeah, you lose Jake Fromm, but when you're subbing in Jamie Newman and JT Daniels, uh, you're still good at quarterback. And Zamir White was my number one running back out of high school. He was a a year removed from injury last year. Now he's another year removed. I think he's going to have a big year. The offensive line is maybe my biggest question. But in the East, two teams.
that really excite me are Tennessee and Kentucky. Now, remember, Kentucky last year lost all that talent to the NFL. Uh, they only had eight returning starters overall, and not much was expected. And then they lose their quarterback and had to play a wide receiver who turned out to be pretty doggone good than Lynn Bowden at the uh, quarterback spot running the football. But this year, they've got 15 returning starters. And Mark Stoops doing an excellent job recruiting. This is a team that showed last year they're, they're not going to rebuild. They're just going to reload. And they're a much more veteran team. Terry Wilson was getting high praise last year prior to the season. I think Terry Wilson going to have a good year, and they've got a lot of talent on this team. And their defensive front seven, it's big, guys. It's not like that Kentucky team of maybe 15 years ago where they were undersized. These are big guys up front in the front seven. I like Kentucky. And then Tennessee. You know, I talked to Coach Pruitt each year uh, of his three years at Tennessee. And the first year, uh, he was not enamored with the talent he inherited. Remember, he was coming from Alabama, Georgia, and uh, he saw what he had on the field. And pretty much that's what happened in 2018. Remember, Tennessee not only lost seven games, they lost six of them by 25 points or more. So they weren't even competitive against the big boys. Now, Pruitt's had three recruiting classes to get rolling here. And in his first year there, they had eight scholarship offensive linemen. Well, this year they have 16 defensively. They had five scholarship defensive linemen. Now they go 10 deep. So this is a Tennessee team that's very talented. They've got 17 returning starters. And Coach Pruitt has been pretty honest with me. Like the first year, hey, we don't really have the talent. This year I point blank asked him, I said, if you, you're playing Oklahoma, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, uh, do you feel you can play with these guys? He said, Phil, we can play with anyone on the schedule and beat them. So it's a much more confident Tennessee team, one that comes in riding it on a six-game win streak. And I think those four teams now are all competitive uh, in the East. And then you look at the West, LSU will probably be in the Alabama mode in the, the rebuild or um, reload rather than rebuild. I think they're still going to be a very good team, but they just lost so doggone much. I mean, 14 draft picks, 20 guys in the NFL. You question marks at quarterback, question marks on the offensive line. Uh, there's question marks in a lot of spots for LSU. They're still going to be very good. I still think they're they're one of the top teams in the West, but I don't see them winning the West this year. I'm looking for more of a two or three loss season. Auburn's always dangerous with Gus Malls on there. Uh, and then my surprise team, my number one surprise team in the country this year is Texas A&M. And last year when I was talking to Coach Jimbo Fisher and going over the team with them, two things stood out to me. The first one was they had a brutal schedule. And as it turns out, guys, they played three number one ranked teams. They played Clemson when they were number one, Alabama when they were number one, LSU when they were number one. They also played the number four and the number eight ranked teams. So a brutal schedule. The other thing that stood out was they didn't have any seniors on that squad. And I, I told Coach Fisher at the end of the call, I'm like, Coach, I'm going to put you on my national cover next year. Well, guess what? It's next year, guys. And they have got 17 returning starters. Kellen Mond's back. They've got my number 12 rated offensive line, number 11 rated defensive line, number nine set of linebackers, number six DBs. Fisher's done a great job recruiting. He's got three full recruiting classes there and the schedule. You know, whereas last year they played five top 10 teams, including three number ones. This year they might play one top 10 team. I dropped their schedule all the way down to number 66. So it's a, their five losses last year were all in those ranked games. I think this is an A&M team where if they can sneak into Tuscaloosa and come out with a win like LSU did last year, they've got a chance of getting into the playoffs. So my surprise team list is always a non-top 10 team that I think can contend for the playoff spot. Texas A&M is that team this year. I'm, I'm with you there. I, I think they've been sort of pointing to this year, and, and you're right. That schedule last year was 
unbelievably brutal. I ha- we have a, a lot of listeners that uh, are South Carolina folks, so I have to ask you about South Carolina um, and the prospects for Will Muschamp heading into year five. Um, obviously, they got some guys coming back, uh, but you know, give us your take on the Gamecocks. Uh, can they stay healthy is the key. And you know what they did? They went out and got a new strength and conditioning coach after all the injuries they've suffered the last two years. I mean, let's face it, last year they lost their quarterback early. Their running backs are banged up. The receivers are banged up. The offensive line was banged up. Linebackers are banged up. I mean, it was a team that every week it was like, well, wow, more guys going down. So provided they can stay healthy, which I think they will this year. Uh, I think that they they will make a bowl game. and uh, be more. Now, the schedule is still difficult for South Carolina. They're still playing my number three toughest schedule in the country uh, when you look at it. But uh, talking to Coach Mustriam, he feels this is by far the best offensive line he's had since he's been there. And I agree. When you look at the talent they have on the offensive line, the experience level they have on the offensive line, it is one of the better units in the country. Last year, Ryan Holinsky was thrown into that quarterback spot as a frosh, and Coach Muschamp felt that they maybe had him doing too much. He was throwing a lot of passes at the end of the year. They were struggling to run the football a little bit. He's going to give them more support this year. They got Saquandre Roy. They got Marshawn Lloyd, a running back, behind that offensive line, and that's going to help him out. Plus, he's a veteran now. Now, he's got to beat out Colin Hill, and Colin Hill knows Mike Bobo's offense from Colorado State, so he's got a shot, as does the true freshman Luke Dottie. But I, I think that South Carolina is going to be improved clearly on offense. And defensively, if they can stay healthy, they've got players through, uh, you know, dotted throughout the lineup, like uh, Engbari at the defensive end spot, Jones and Robinson at the linebacker spot. J.C. Horn at corner is one of the better corners in the country this year. And uh, uh, Mukama at the, the free safety spot, same thing. So it's a, a talented South Carolina team that faces a tough schedule. But I think if they stay healthy, uh, they could be sneaky. Remember last year, they knocked off Georgia. Uh, they gave Florida everything they wanted. I'm still wondering a little bit about that, what, 90-yard holding that they didn't call in that game. But uh, yeah. other than that, it was uh, – <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think South Carolina can play with the big boys and will pull some upsets and make a bowl game this year. It's interesting, Phil, and it kind of goes to the, the, the bigger takeaway with the SEC of how it's finally returning to the depth that it used to have, particularly in the Eastern Division. Three, four years ago, if we were having this conversation about the Gamecocks, we could be talking about a team that might be picked second on some ballots, but that was when Florida and Tennessee were down. That's when, you know, Kentucky was still trying to figure out if they could really be a player under coach Stoops, who believe it or not was on the hot seat a couple of years ago. And now they're going to do everything in their power to keep him. They, they, if they could, they'd probably give him a lifetime contract. Uh, but the East is finally, I'm not saying it's the West. I'm not saying it's, it's equal to what, in my opinion, is the best division in college football, the SEC West. But what I am saying is that gap is finally closing with the ascension of a couple of the programs that were really in the doldrums for a while. Yeah, I agree. And you look at the bottom of the SEC West this year. I think Arkansas is in a rebuild mode. And really, when you look at uh, the the one teams that are going to be affected, and, and and it would probably be a brand new head coach with no spring practices, right? Because you know they've got to learn the players, and they haven't even seen these guys on the field. The few the coaches I talked to that were brand new head coaches uh, that hadn't had a spring practice are basically like Phil. I've never seen this guy throw the football in a, you know in a practice and. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you what I what I see in the workouts, but I can't tell you anything else. So, I, I think a team like Arkansas is still in the rebuild mode. Uh, Pittman, 
Clemson's got some talent to work with, but I, I still think I would take South Carolina over them. And South Carolina is the fifth best team in the uh, in the East, in my estimation. Uh, Mississippi State, I think they're in for uh, a little bit of a rebuilding here this year. I mean, Mike Leach is bringing in a brand new offense, a pass happy offense. He leads the nation every year with the highest percentage of passes uh, in a game, and he's taken over a Mississippi State team that ran the football. Their quarterbacks ran the football, so you're talking about new blocking schemes for the offensive line. Completely new. Well, the, the new quarterback is a passing quarterback in KJ Costello. He's got Kylan Hill to work with, but brand new schemes, both offensively and defensively. And Coach Leach didn't even have a spring practice to work with, so they weren't even able to implement him. I remember at Washington State, it took Leach three years to have, or four years to have a winning record there. He did get him to one bowl game in his first three years, but I believe the first year was a three-win season. I think it's a rebuilding year for Mississippi State. Of the bottom teams uh, in the West this year, I think uh, Lane Kiffin steps into the best situation. I mean, they've got a couple of veteran quarterbacks and John Rice Plumley and Matt Corral. they got Ely and Connor at running back. Uh, you look at the offensive line, it's a veteran group. Uh, I, the talent he has there, I thought that Matt Luke did a great job recruiting. I mean, look at the last year's class and how they did as freshmen. So Kiffin's probably stepping into the best situation. But yes, the East clearly getting closer to the West. Yeah, the problem with Matt Luke's teams, they just couldn't stop anybody. Didn't matter who they put as coordinator. And, and that's still going to be a question mark for me is, is Ole Miss ready to play SEC quality uh, uh, defense if they're going to make it to that next level. We know Lane's going to draw up some plays that will probably uh, equate to some points in, in Oxford this year. So, if, And I haven't seen the magazine yet. I, I, it's getting here soon. I keep uh, looking in the mailbox uh, with glee and excitement <laughs> and uh, anticipation. A- am I to assume you are uh, in the vast majority that has Alabama taking the crown this year in the SEC? No, I got them coming in sixth. <laughs> now that would be a headline yeah that would i mean well i mean they're off a disastrous season last year they finished eighth in the country for crying yeah. out loud so it's time to start looking for a new head coach maybe <laughs> yes alabama is my pick to win the sec this year and you know the, there is question mark at quarterback naturally uh you don't have a two-head qb you got mac jones fighting bryce young but look at the surrounding talent and um i'm a member of the joe moore award committee and uh you know for my offensive lines i bounced it off those guys and i rated alabama the number one offensive line in the country and didn't get any any pushback at all from those guys when they when they saw that they've got my number two set of running backs number three receivers so whatever quarterback they plug in there has got a tremendous supporting talent now remember last year with alabama uh dylan moses was all american in the preseason and then he went out with injury, missed the entire year. Joshua McMillan was a projected starter, missed the entire year with injury. They had to play a couple of true freshmen at the linebacking core. And uh, those guys did well, but now they're sophomores. Moses is back. McMillan's back. They, on the defensive line, they had three freshmen that started last year. Those guys are all now sophomores. And Saban always molds a secondary. It's like, like Ohio State. doesn't matter what you lose. You're going to have draft picks this year. And Patrick Sertain's a nice piece to build on there. So I think Alabama's defense in better shape than last year when they lost those players to injury at the start of the year. Offense, they won't be quite as explosive with Tua, but I think they'll still be very explosive. And yes, Alabama gets A&M at home, and I think that's going to be a key game. They do have to travel to LSU, which could be a little tricky in Death Valley, and they also pulled Georgia from the east. So the schedule's not super easy. In fact, I rated the number 25 schedule in the country, which is an upgrade over some of the schedules they've been facing in the past. But I still think they're the most talented team and in these 
conditions, with all this uncertainty, don't you want to put your money on the, the, the best coach, you know, the guy that's going to be able to get through the circumstances? And I, I think Nick Saban's a pretty good coach. I would say so. I, I would say maybe the best of all time. Closing uh, up shop, final minutes with Phil Steele, our guest here on JC and Morgan. Uh, Phil, you mentioned some of your potential surprise teams. I know that's always a, a highly anticipated list that you put out. What about teams that you expect to take a slide this year based on a, a number of different factors, some teams that might be knocked off their perch a bit? Yeah, I think, well, you could start with LSU where I don't think they're going to take a tremendous slide, but 15 and 0 blowing out teams in the playoffs. I don't think they're that LSU team this year. Uh, another one that's made a bowl three straight years that I think is going to be in a pretty, probably in a losing season this year, uh, is Michigan State. And uh, when I look at Michigan State, Mel Tucker's a first year head coach. He actually get over, got over there late because remember, D'Antonio stepped over, stepped down after he signed the freshman class. So Tucker didn't even have the benefit of recruiting the freshman. Uh, had zero spring practices, only has 10 returning starters. To to work with on the team as a whole and so he's got to learn the team the team's inexperienced uh that's that's a michigan state team that probably takes a step back and then like i said mississippi state same thing trying to drastically change the offense without a spring practice uh, i think that's going to be difficult so i think some of these first year head coaches are really going to struggle this year and michigan state mississippi state would be my my poster boys for that Phil, tell everybody out there, if they haven't gotten the guide already, first off, shame on them, but uh, there's a good amount of time for redemption here now as we sit in late July. Where do we get it? How do we get it? I appreciate that, Mike. Uh, you know, the magazine, we have a limited distribution this year. Uh, we normally print close to 200,000 of these things. And this year, when I was wondering if there's even going to be a football season, I decided on a limited distribution. So we only printed 50,000 this year. Now, you can get the magazine online right now, philsteel.com. And if you go to philsteel.com, order the magazine. We'll ship it out today, and it gets to you in one to three days priority mail. So that's philsteel, S-T-E-E-L-E.com. Now, if you're used to going out to the stores and looking for it there's only two stores that's going to be in this year we signed exclusive deals with barnes and noble and books a million so don't bother shopping at the walmarts and places like that <laughs> barnes and noble books a million are the only two bookstores you can get it in or if you can't wait they go on sale july 24th which is any day now it's probably your best bet barnes and noble books a million or philsteel.com Fantastic. Phil, uh, it's been, I've been getting it now for about, I guess, 20 years, give or take, and uh, it never disappoints. It is the premier college football magazine out there, and you're one of the premier guests here on JC and Morgan. Thank you so much for the time, and uh, hopefully we can all enjoy a great season this fall. Sounds great, and uh, hey, great talking football with you guys today. Really enjoyed it. Hey, Same here. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Again, thanks to uh, Phil Steele for joining us on JC and Morgan. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't get paid to endorse anybody on this podcast, but I, I, I've had Phil on my uh, talk show back when I did a daily talk show for years and years. Uh, so I get nothing for, for, for plugging it the way I do plug it. I just believe in it. <laughs> it's, it's that good. Um, if you want information, again, if, if you just want a bunch of pictures and, and ancillary stuff. That's fine too. Uh, not, not knocking the competitors. I, I, I read some of those magazines as well, but I can tell you as someone who, when I prepare for a game, I mean, I have to know the nuts and bolts of everything. I have to examine the entire roster. Uh, and, and so when I need that much information, 
there's only one guy to go to. It's his. And I know a lot of fans out there, they want to be informed as much as anybody. They want to be the smartest guy at the water cooler. If you still have a water cooler, I don't know. In COVID-19, they might have taken away the water cooler in a lot of places. But uh, theoretically, if you had a water cooler, you'll be the smartest guy if you read the Phil Steele guy. Anything that, that stood out to you, JC, and what he was talking about? I mean, I think... I- a lot of it is is what you would expect. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want my, my we have a lot of Tennessee listeners, and uh, and I'll just say that maybe it's because of the last twelve years. Maybe it's because I'm used to joining you. joining them in the preseason. <laughs> them and Auburn both are like my teams that I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, Auburn, yeah. You know, I remember after 2013. I thought Auburn had arrived, you know, I was like the 2014 Auburn Tigers will be very good. And then, and I thought they were going to be a playoff team. And of course they were in the mix, but that was the year Ole Miss and Mississippi state were really good in that division. Bama ended up winning it anyway. Um, But Tennessee, you know, I never really thought Derek Dooley was going to work out. Butch Jones though shocked me to a certain extent with how he started recruiting they had the Josh Dobbs is one of my favorite players of all time um, in terms of the SEC and dealing with him as a recruit was outstanding. Really good kid. I always pulled for him um, and, and I got burned, you know, so I, I, I don't know that I share the enthusiasm for Tennessee that maybe Jeremy Pruitt and, and Phil still have now, now Jeremy Pruitt's a confident guy. And I do think, you know, it, it, I think there's a scenario where if they cancel non-conference games and Tennessee doesn't have to go to Norman, Oklahoma, the second week of the season, that would really kind of like, I think, benefit them to a certain extent as far as continuing the momentum from last year. Love the Kentucky call. Um, maybe, you know, Miami, that's another one of those teams that burned me. I mean, I agree with what he said there uh, about them improving. They better improve or else Manny Diaz needs to be fired. I mean, I know it's only been two years and nothing against Manny Diaz, but you cannot, when you're Miami, get more embarrassing. You know, you know, they've gone from being embarrassing to even more embarrassing, you know, and so. FIU. And Duke and Louisiana Tech. And I know Phil had a lot of reasons for that Duke game, but uh, anyway, I, you know, so, so De'Aaron King's a great quarterback and Red Lashley's coming in to call plays. So, you know. Right. I don't know if it gets worse for Miami than FIU. I don't think a lot of people even know where FIU is. Game wasn't close either. But, but that that is down in that neck of the woods. Uh, and FIU didn't even have a football program 20 years ago, and they were uh, the laughing stock of, of Conference USA for a few years and not exactly a strong league. So that was uh, that might have been the low point of Miami football over the last twenty years, and there's been a number of them. They've been a major disappointment. Uh, Derek, you know, my last uh, uh, broadcast of the year was was Navy at Houston, and I worked with Andre Ware, who, needless to say, knows a thing or two about Houston. I, I don't think Andre is completely sold on Derek King. Derek King um, basically rolled the dice, and now it, it's going to be a little different deal. Especially if the ACC, you know, as, as Phil documented, the ACC was atrocious last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he even had a, a behind the American. I, I, if if everybody does kind of climb up this year, De'Aaron King's going to see some defenses the likes that he really hasn't, and there's going to be such a spotlight on him. Uh, he, he's an electric player, but 
I, I, I don't, some of the expectations there might be a little bit too lofty for, uh, for De'Ara King in Miami. We, we shall see. Uh, and as you heard Phil mentioned in the SEC, it's, 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 look, it's, it's more competitive now. Uh, everybody's going to pick Alabama. At least we have some diversion, excuse me, some diversity of opinion in the East where it's two different teams instead of one. Yeah. You got, you got a lot of people jumping the, the Florida bandwagon. Um, it seems like forever since anybody got legitimate consideration other than Georgia to win that division. Uh, and then, and then the A and M factor, I, I think that's one of the most intriguing stories this year. So again, uh, thanks. Thanks to Phil. And it was nice to just get away from all the, pomp and circumstance surrounding uh, this season and actually get into the nuts and bolts of it. And we're going to do more of that. I promise you on the podcast. Now we're going to get back to the pomp and circumstance for a minute. Yeah, man. Uh, and before we, before we take a, a dive into um, the coverage, I, 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 and I don't do this often. Look, there's a lot of uh, podcasts you can go to, and there's a lot of intelligent people and, and, and informed people that cover college football. But I was a little fired up last week because I, again, I, I, I do have access to some pretty good sources on what's going on. And I'm hearing national writers who, again, there's, there's two or three of them that seem to share the same brain um, that are uh, just completely telling you, Oh, there's no chance it's going to be a season. Uh I wish I had better news, but here's some sobering thoughts. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you, you know who they are by now. Uh, none of them work for ESPN, incidentally. They're, they're from various outlets out there. And a couple of them, quite frankly, if you read between the lines, or in some cases you don't have to. I mean, I think Pat Forty just came out and, and basically told you if, it, if a season doesn't happen, then it's, uh, it's Donald Trump's fault. And, I mean, he's been tiptoeing him and his, his – kind of partners in crime and tiptoeing around that. And then they've also been tiptoeing around the fact that it, it almost be irresponsible. If you played college football this year, uh, you keep hearing things like that. And so for the average person, you're sitting there you're like, well, this guy must know what he's talking about. I guess we're not going to have college football. I guess we shouldn't have college football. I mean, these are national uh, broadcasters. And then, uh, and then you have the HBO real sports story, which we're going to get to later on, but I'm just going to just go ahead and give ourselves, uh, if you, a little bit of a pat on the back, if you're listening last week, we flat out told you the SEC is not looking at a conference only model as their first choice. They still are looking at having, uh, those at uh, some of those out of conference games played. If it's not all of them, it's at least in the case of the SEC, ACC, uh, uh, the, the, the rivalry games, there's still a chance at uh, extra games. In addition to that, uh, we told you that in order for that to happen, those, you know, non power five schools were going to have to uh, answer all the testing protocols, all the things that the big boys do, they're going to have to spend the money to do it. And they're going to have to be uh, just as uh, uh, effective and efficient as the power five schools and why why could we expect this to happen because those schools need the money for the game so you basically you call all the shots you tell them you got to jump through this hoop that hoop this hoop that hoop that otherwise we're canceling the game and guess what they're gonna do it because if there's 1.1 million dollars on the line i know testing is expensive but it's not 1.1 million dollars expensive so you're still going to make money out of the deal if you do things the right way so uh, those games you had a lot of people trying to convince you a, that there wasn't going to be a season 
B, that the, everybody was going to follow the Big Ten and do a conference-only model. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told you specifically, I talked to multiple ADs who said, we're, it's going to be announced, and it was, I think, two days after we dropped our podcast, that if you are a college football player and you are concerned about COVID to the point where you fear what you, you, you fear the unknown and, and you just feel like it's, it's not worth the risk, you will not be penalized. You will not have your scholarship taken away. You will not be kicked out of school or whatever else. Uh, I know that destroys the narrative that some of you want to have, which is these are just poor downtrodden college kids that are, uh, playing for an evil dictatorship that is college football coaches and programs, and they're being forced against their will to participate. Uh, the, the guy that did the HBO Real Sports interview embarrassed himself on the interview with Greg Sakey. The very first question, he says, "So you're gonna you're gonna get them all on planes and fly them in to participate, even with all the dangers?" And Greg Sankey's like, "That's not what we do. We don't." fly them in like cattle they usually they have cars they uh, drive to campus they I mean, it was just embarrassing like, like, even this guy even, didn't know what the hell he was talking about even the wokest and i and i say wokest as a, as a derogatory term because I, I think woke implies that you just take things too far I'm, I'm all for social justice and all this other stuff so there's my disclaimer on calling somebody woke. It's not a compliment. But the wokest guy on Twitter about college football retweets it and wants to go after Sankey a little bit, and then everybody turns on him. I mean, because it was that terrible of a question. Right. Everybody's like, I don't know. I mean, even the other wokesters, the, you know, the Corona bros and everybody out there. Right. Oh, um, yeah, you know, that was kind of an unfair question. That was a dumb question to begin with, you know. And and so that, that was kind of a funny happening on social media. Yesterday. Yeah, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna ask a loaded question, at least be factually accurate. And so for somebody to retweet that question and almost praise the question and the and and make light of the answer. Uh, do, do, do facts matter anymore? I mean, do, does no. actual do facts matter at all in the way some of these people were like, I realize there's bias. There's, there's bias no matter where you turn in media, but at least be factually correct. You had a guy yesterday and I don't know who this, I didn't know who he was, but apparently, I mean, he's a writer with 50,000 Twitter followers. And so he, he's, he's got some uh, cachet, and he he retweets the the news about the SWAC who followed uh, the 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 MEAC. Uh, these are two conferences at the FCS level that already, you know, financially it is it is a struggle. They don't have some of the resources that a lot of the other leagues do, even some of the other uh, FCS leagues do. So they postpone their seasons to the spring. And, and to that, I say, well, good for you. I mean, you got to do what you think is right. You, you know, the numbers better than anybody, you know, uh, the risks and, and the, the situation for your particular schools better than anybody. I certainly wouldn't be critical of that choice. That's fine for the MEAC. That's fine for the SWAC. That's fine for the Patriot. That's fine for the Ivy. Good for you. Go for it. This guy takes the news headline of the SWAC, retweets it and says, well, clearly now, the, the everybody knows the right move and Greg Sankey, I'm sure will take this in consideration and probably will fall in line. Yes. I'm sure Greg Sankey is up late at night concerned about what the SWAC and the Ivy league are doing. Oh my in God. Terms of, I mean, it's, it, and this is, and people are the, these, these are not fringe like websites. 
Yeah. These are people that are in credible positions in the media that have massive followings. And they are, for a lot of college football fans, the source of information. I mean, college football fans are wondering where to turn to. And these are some of their options. So you've got some national guys that are basically telling you now for weeks on end. And as recently as last week, I saw a main guy on the Paul Feinbaum show basically, well, I mean, I, I, maybe 5% that even happens. I just can't see it. You got another guy getting overly political in his headline. You got another guy who uh, is basically telling you that the, the opening question, which is completely incorrect and false in its premise to Greg Sankey on the HBO's Real Sports interview, you got him retweeting it as if this is a brilliant interview that really exposes something. All this, and you're a college football fan just wanting to know the truth, and I, I feel bad for you. Well, I feel I bad for you because you can't know, you don't know where anything that is unbiased and accurate is out there. And here's the problem, and, and then a lot of it has to do, the root problem is social media, and we could have a whole show on that. But um, social media to me breeds ignorance. And I think that a lot of people are ignorant about the sport that they cover. They can rattle off this, that, and the other. Um, the person that mentioned that about the swag. I mean, that's the most ignorant thing I've ever heard in my life in terms of just not understanding the sport. I mean, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm on a, I actually think it's good. The SWAC and maybe the MEAC and some of the HBCU schools are going to the spring because I, I think that uh, they're going to get a lot more exposure. It's right. going to be on TV, Absolutely. you know, and I mean, even the smaller schools go, uh, to the spring, I think you're going to see a lot of fans of bigger schools adopt a smaller school team. The ratings will be there because it's football. You know, I mean, it'll 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 outdraw the uh, the alliance and the XFL. You know, FCS uh, group of five, I believe, ratings wise, will outdraw the XFL and the alliance. Um, and so, I think that's a positive thing for those those schools. Okay, so so. so <laughs> to say that the, the swack is a big statement and the SEC will fall in line, Sankey will fall in line, that's just ignoring the economics and the reality of the state of those college football programs. And you would think someone who is paid to write about the sport would understand the sport a little better. I mean, I used to get frustrated because, you know, look, I understand if you're a football writer and you don't really understand recruiting. You know, because I lived in that world and recruiting for a while. That's kind of where I, that's kind of my area. I get it if you don't really understand that part of it. Um, but look, it's kind of your job to know the difference between what the SWAC is doing and what the SEC is doing, especially now that we're six months into a pandemic almost, where, you know, this has been the topic du jour uh, for a while. But, but I think people that do this, that, that make ignorant statements like that, you know, don't, uh, aren't concerned about the reality. They're concerned about pushing a narrative and, uh, a narrative that they formed, uh, through years of, of looking at Twitter or doing whatever. I, I don't know. I don't want to say being educated because I don't think a lot of these are educated opinions. So, you know, that, that's the problem. And the Sankey thing, even when, when woke man retweeted it yesterday he took a screenshot of it, put it up. You know, even like I said, some of his buddies were even like, "Ah, eh, that's a terrible question." And 
you know, kind of shows that that reporter is existing outside of reality. Yeah, it's not a surprise to me, Mike, that the HBO outside the lines thing was going to piss me off. Once I heard they were going to do this, it, it was going to piss me off because it's going to be nothing but, you know, wokeness, uh, Corona bro propaganda, BS. You're putting these guys' lives in danger, you know, and, and nobody's going to mention, and I haven't seen it, so maybe I should, maybe I'm wrong. But my guess is they don't mention the fact there were 36 positive tests when LSU went back, and now they're close to zero or zero. They don't mention no. the fact that on most SEC schools, it's been weeks since they've had a positive test at all. Clemson, right. down next, Clemson, everybody's like, Clemson, 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 blah, 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 blah. Clemson's down near zero or at zero. And, 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 you know, so, 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 so some of these guys were like, well, we need more data to show that you're safer on a college campus and in a program. Well, there's your data. 36 positive tests to none. No, approximately zero players have been hospitalized or even all that sick with this thing. I, I, I think that we should be celebrating the universities and college programs for putting in mitigation efforts that are obviously working. And yet we're not. You know, yeah. and so so that, that that's what takes me off. It's like there's just this departure from reality and tendency to ignore anything that doesn't fit the narrative. Well, there, there's there's no desire to get to, um, you know, the, the, the truth. Like it's I've said this a 100 times. It's OK to have an opinion that says, you know what? I just I just feel like there's too much unknown. It's too dangerous. And I don't think we should have college football in the fall. Okay. I, I might disagree with you, but I'm not going to sit there and attack you for your opinion. But you, you have to get the facts out. I mean, you can't just conveniently erase some key facts in order to get everybody to the conclusion you want to get them to. Because you want everybody to think the way you do. The question I'm talking about, and the guy's name is David Scott. And I look, I've, I've watched great uh, real sports for several years. There's a lot good I can say about the show. There's a lot that's insufferable that I can say about the show. And I, like you, knew exactly where this was going to go the moment I heard Greg Sankey was going to be on there. And I give Greg Sankey credit because he does a number of I've seen him on the Dan Patrick show a half a dozen times uh, since COVID. And, and Dan is not exactly, if you listen to Dan, and I, again, I, I enjoy that show, but Dan will basically, he's in a, in a hundred different ways told you he doesn't believe anything should be played in the fall. Uh, and so he comes, his questions come from that standpoint. So when your first question and your David Scott is, and I'm quoting, to the extent that you have already flown, I gather, hundreds of athletes back to your campus for training, haven't you already put them at an increased risk of infection? Okay, loaded question, fine. I expected that. You know, everybody on that show wants to be like Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes circa 1983. Uh, but but factually incorrect, and so you're you're forcing Greg Sankey to, to start off the interview. Uh, actually, that's not accurate, David. And I, I'm thankful that Real Sports didn't edit the fact that the first question was was factually incorrect. They let it play out, but they that's how. So then you have to. That's not how it works, David. This is how the athletes get to campus. What wasn't brought out in the piece is what you pointed out, that the, the numbers have decreased significantly since they've been in their, their own, for lack of a better word, bubble. What hasn't been, point out, hasn't been pointed out is that when they got to campus, 
they had the, the the positive tests. They didn't just poof turn up in the in the campus weight room. Most of those kids already had it, and they were asymptomatic. So the conclusion you should bring, you should get from that is they're not safe not being in a controlled environment from getting the virus. And you could make this a strong argument, as many coaches have, that they're safer actually being on campus uh, with medical professionals around them uh, in a situation where the coaching staff holds them accountable for what they're doing in their free time as much as they humanly can, as opposed to what a... 20 to 22 year old normally does when he's got complete carte blanche of what to do with his free time because he has no practice. He has to organize workouts, et cetera, et cetera. None of this was brought up on top of that. They have one interview on the whole thing. Other than Sankey, they have uh, the parents of the Stringer boys, uh, Corey Stringer, who was, uh, 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 wait, I'm sorry. I'd said Corey Stringer back that up. Uh, uh, Chris Hinton, thank you. Uh, wrong offensive lineman, one of which uh, I'm quite certain is no longer with us. So I apologize for making that mistake. Uh, Chris Hinton has two sons that play big time college football, one for Michigan and one for Stanford. Uh, and him and his wife, both very intelligent uh, and, and uh, being concerned. And I don't blame him. I mean, his parents should be concerned. So they're being interviewed and they're basically saying these kids are, uh, you know, they're being asked to do this and kind of, they don't say forced against their will, but I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of getting toward that area. Um, and at no point is it, is it stated or even asked the question. Now, if they decided it wasn't safe to play, because clearly you mom and dad don't feel it's safe to play, would they be stripped away of their scholarship? At no point is that question even asked. Is it even brought up? Don't you think a responsible journalist asked that question? Uh, instead, they're all herded in on airplanes by the conference commissioners, and they have no choice. they got to play football against their will, and they go from these completely safe environments, right, because no one ever catches COVID except that they're playing football, into these completely reckless, uh, abandoned football fields and weight rooms where it's a petri dish of, of covid spread it's again it's an irresponsible interview it's an irresponsible piece and greg sankey is left having to uh, correct the interviewer on a number of facts that are issued uh, i say facts in quotation marks that are issued incorrectly and so that is what that in a nutshell that in a microcosm is what the college football fan has been treated to in terms of the coverage of this event from a number of key players in, uh, in national media that cover the sport. Yeah. The Hintons can opt out, you know, I mean, and, and that's the thing. If you're, if you're that worried about it, I mean, you know, and, and uh, I, I've followed those guys recruitments and they're, they're very smart guys, um, you know, uh, both of them and th their parents can make the and, and any parent out there, um, that wants to make that decision should make it. Um, I think that uh, without penalty from in terms of eligibility, just redshirt this year. Because look, you're either going to play or you're not. And even if there's a season and you opt out, I mean, so 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 you're going to opt out. So you're either going to sit out with your teammates or sit out this year. And honest to God, if your personal opinion is. That you you don't think it's safe to play? Why should your teammates who do feel it's safe to play sit out? Um, you know, and, and that that's the issue there. And it's just uh, just like the whole virus, it's been politicized. I hate it. I do think that there are some 
issues in college football that need to be addressed, um, obviously. Uh, but I, I also think that, that this is this just gives the perfect opportunity based on, you know, speculation and uh, all that, you know, to hijack a public health epidemic and apply it to, to this, 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 this sad, tired notion that college football is inherently evil uh, and, ex- and exploits young people and players. Uh, I don't, I've never believed that. We can get into all that later, but, but I think this is just part of that narrative. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that hope there's not a season, um, you know, just to kind of stick it to the sport a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that, that's, that's my deal there. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's omnipresent. I mean, the, the light has been shined on where these guys come from and, and almost every one of their stories and takes, it all comes from the same standpoint that these are young men that are being exploited. And so now, I mean, this, they're having a field day with this because if you go with that premise, and everything is based on that premise. Well, now you can just say, see, I, ter- I told you so. They're further being exploited. They're putting these young children that we talk about them like they're five years old uh, into harms. I mean, I don't know about you, JC. When I was 19, 20, 21 years old, I was capable of making the decision. I didn't need uh, adults to necessarily tell me. I could read the tea leaves. You're old enough to, to vote and go to war uh, you're old enough to, to kind of see what's going on and have an opinion. And the fact of the matter is, if you believe the reporting from a, a number of people that are actually constantly talking to these young men, such as the Laura Rutledge's of the world and, and others, and I never hear this in, the, in, in that, that same holy trinity uh, of college football guys that uh, think this is such a terrible idea. I never hear them say, here's the players that I've talked to and here's what they say. Because if you believe the reporting, the overwhelming majority of them want to play. And while that offer is on the table to, to back out and be unpenalized for it. And it just, as you pointed out, take a red shirt, uh, not lose any of your, uh, finances in terms of all your housing is still taken care of. All your meals are taken, taken care of your tutoring, your gear, everything else that, uh, most college kids actually have to fend for themselves to, to support themselves or put or pay their way through college. None of that's going to be taken away. And none of that story kind of came and went, you know, it, it went out there on Twitter a few days after we did our podcast and we told you this was going to happen in the SEC. And I believe it's going to be universal with the power of five leagues. I can't imagine one of them's going to say, no, nah, we decided we're going to penalize the kids if they don't play. Um, that story went up and went out and there wasn't much reaction to it. It was like, oh, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, that's kind of a big deal because it completely contradicts the narrative that these young men are being for it's almost as if they're making an analogy that it's 1968 and the draft cards were just issued to go to Vietnam and you don't have a choice unless you go to Canada and become a beatnik. Uh, this is not what we're It's not going through. It's not 1968. No, you no. don't want to participate. If you're truly that concerned, if you're the parents of a young man playing college football and you're truly that concerned, you can opt out penalty free. I don't know if there's going to be a better choice out there for somebody in this situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just opt out and come back next year or when you feel it's safe and it's easy, it's an easy decision to make. Um, however, I don't know, you know, how you can look at the science, you know, science, 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 data, 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 and look at the numbers of positive tests. Now they've dropped dramatically 
Um, you look at Sankey saying one of his presidents told him, hey, I feel confident in our procedures to have a safe season this year. And that was a school president. You know, those guys, uh, you know, they're not going to say anything like that unless they mean it. And so I, I you know, I, I am stunned that nobody's talking about that. Mm-hmm. I am stunned that, you know, those of us that have common sense that actually pay attention to things, Mike, are talking about it. But then these guys and, you know, Corona bros, for lack of a better term, that's that's what the, the they call them on Twitter. You know, the, the wear a mask all the time. Uh, we're all going to die, people. Um, and, and using that to, to, to you know, to, to talk about, you know, their political views, which I think is ridiculous. But these guys, you know, you know, when they when you start to hear, oh, well, the data's looking good and we're pointing towards a season, you know, because of the data and because of what the health professionals on the ground dealing with the players that are already on campus are saying, okay, um, all you get is the push, all you get is pushback. They're not reporting. I think it's probably good news that there's not rampant coronavirus running through college football programs. Don't you think that's newsworthy? People need to know it, but because that impacts their narrative in a, in a negative way, all you get is pushback. Well, I haven't seen that data. Well, you haven't been paying attention. You're just retweeting fear porn all day and talking about how college football is some sort of uh, biased, uh, unfair deal. You know, and how players are going to die and how we don't care about player safety. Well, look at the numbers. Look at Clemson, 36 positives when they got on campus or more, down to zero. That means, like we said, Mike, we said this months ago, these guys are safer being around their teammates in a kind of a semi-bubble environment. And then you look at the testing numbers for Major League Baseball, NHL, NFL. They're all extremely low. Well, Major League Baseball just turned up with a zero. (laughs) No, the NBA just turned up with a zero percent. Now, granted, that's a bubble. Yeah. Major League Baseball, it's a minuscule, minuscule number. Two out of how many? Yeah. Yeah, out of of hundreds upon hundreds. And and those guys are going home every night. Correct. They're not in a bubble. They're not in a bubble. They're going to their – so I I just think – this whole whole deal, I, and you know, and because all the other sports are starting back, and everybody's been like, you know, no sports at all till till this is over. You know, all those you know, school marms or whatever that were sitting there in March going, sports is gone for a while. Ah! You know, they were wrong. Okay, they were wrong and unnecessarily fearful, and they are embarrassed. And so now. College football is all that's left that's up in the air, and they're going all in on wanting to cancel it. And it pisses me off because it's not right. And look, I'll be the first to say if we have a, an outbreak within the, the, the programs around the country or, you know, if, if, if things start to get worse within the college programs, I'll be the first to say, hey, yeah, maybe move it to spring, okay? It's not worth it. I'm not all in, go play, put 80,000 in the stands. I wear a mask just like everybody. I mean, you know, I don't, right. I'm, not, I'm not saying the virus is fake, but I'm saying some of these people have hijacked the virus in order to implement their reality on the rest of us. 
Uh, and it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous and, and, and they're ignoring the facts and it's just all about being right and pushing a narrative. And it, it's well, yeah, more about pushing a narrative than being right necessarily. But yes, there, I mean, as, as I mentioned weeks ago, the, 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 the articles were already written the moment some positive tests came up, you know, pew, send it off. Pew, pew, told you this was terrible. Pew, pew. Now the article is already written. If, and if indeed we have a season in the fall, and again, as we sit here on July 22nd, I believe there is going to be football this fall. Uh, things can change. It's always fluid. There could be an outbreak among all outbreaks, et cetera, et cetera. But if, if God forbid, there is um, a school that has a number of positive tests and maybe they even like the game has to be taken off the board, that article's already written. And everything's already written. And, the, and I'll say one more thing, and I'm done with the HBO piece because I'm, I'm certainly not here to uh, promote the real sports piece. I, I don't think I'm really doing that. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, the, the other thing that the Hinton said is point blank, someone's going to die. I mean, that is, that's really strong language and a, and a really strong prediction that is not really backed up by fact or by the data or by the numbers. So, I, 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 yes, if that happens, my goodness, there's going to be all kinds of second guessing, but um, there's, there's just nothing to indicate that that, is, that that is a high percentage that that is going to happen. It, it, it's just not. Uh, and so when you when you add all that up, um, I I think we're heading to a season. And you know, people want to say, "Well, it's, it's about the money." Well, yeah, money is a factor in everything. People are going to work because they need to eat, because they need to take care of their children. So yeah, if you want to use a cynical tone when you say that, be my guest. But uh, the the fact of the matter is, yeah, of course, money. You don't have to, you don't have to hide from that. You don't have to feel shame for money being a, a factor in it. Yeah, money's a factor in everything that we do. Uh, I, I, some would say we should just go in the fetal position for a year and hope that uh, it's completely wiped out and hope that the entire country's not bankrupt, but that's not reality. Sometimes reality uh, is not convenient. And this has not been a convenient truth for a lot of people, but yeah, the, the money's a factor. Sure it is. Uh, there's also a ton of people that, that love to have their sports back. You know, you could be overly cynical about the money part of it, but truth of the matter is we'd all be okay if we didn't have the pro sports, but they're all going on. Okay. Baseball's about to be back in, uh, in about 48 hours time. Uh, you, you could say it's already back. They have exhibition games going on, but it's about to be back in full force come Thursday with uh, the, the new opening day, if you will. The NBA is about to be back in a week, and the NFL is going to be happen. They might take away preseason games, but they ain't taking away regular season games. You're going to see them all play 16, and they're going to have a full season, and by golly, they're going to make it work. Uh, do any of those guys need the money? Not that they spent it even partially wisely, but the fact of the matter is, unless you are in a situation where you are, you are convinced that it's so detrimental and so much of a hazard, it just can't be done, then why would you cancel it? And I think that's the conclusion of all these leagues, and now it's trickled down to college football. So uh, 
we'll see what happens between now and, you know, leagues like the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12 have basically bought time, right? Whether it's July 31st, whether it's August 3rd, I don't know. I don't think there's a date set in stone, a true, you know, drop dead date uh, uh, in terms of it's got to happen today or or else. I, I think they're going to take a look at how the pro sports are going. They're going to take a look at more of the data. They're going to take a look at uh, more of the testing situations. And as I mentioned, and I'm sure the SEC is not alone in this, they have their own uh, staff of medical people giving input. So it's not as if you've got a bunch of guys with no medical background trying to guess on what to do here. They have their own staff, uh, their own group that is, that is hired to help make these key decisions and help give the proper data in order to come to those conclusions. Uh, and, and all that is, all that is relevant, uh, in terms of what they're going to wind up doing. And once the medical council tells the ADs, the ADs tell the presidents, the presidents tell the conference commissioners. And at that point, we just try to come up with as close to a consensus as we can. The big 10 made their decision. The PAC 12 followed suit. Some people applaud them for it. I mean, to me, if you want a pat on the back for diminishing the season from 12 to nine or 12 to 10, you still got players flying all over the place. I, I don't think that was really a safety move, even though it's painted as such. Um, <laughs> there, it's safer to get in a bus and travel two hours to play your in-state rival that happens to be in a different conference. So the conference only model that some people were quick to applaud the big 10 for making that to me solves a little of anything. If you truly believe these players are in peril and coaches are in peril because it, nothing's going to change just because it's conference only. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with travel. I, I think it's more and, and what's crazy is some of the people that are supposed to understand the sport uh, started talking about it. Oh, well, that's good. Keeps them off airplanes. They don't want, Ohio state and Oregon or, or whatever. And I'm like, well, no, it, it's basically, you know, I think it's money, you know, people don't want to talk about money, but I think it's money. Cause I think that, you know, if you're talking about playing without fans, you know, number one, those buy games get expensive, but most importantly, what you risk is if you have a school, because cause the virus does spread, you know, anonymously, you know, no symptoms, that kind of thing. Um, so you, you got a school coming in that can't really afford to test their players every week. Let's say the, the previous week they had a big win on their level. Let's say it's Coastal Carolina and they beat somebody in the Sun Belt, and then they're going to come up and play South Carolina the next week. Um, well, they had a big win and they're in Myrtle Beach and they went out and partied, you know, secretly that Sunday. Well, you tested them two weeks ago, so you're not really, you know, financially going to test them before the South Carolina game. They come to South Carolina, they play that game you know, without the, the Gamecock stepping in and testing them. And then South Carolina, all of a sudden, their whole team's positive. You know, now nobody's getting sick, hopefully, because nobody's really gotten sick with this. We've had positive tests, but nobody's gotten really sick. Nobody's had to be hospitalized. But I, I think that when you're in a Power 5 conference, you can you can set protocols financially, um, and everybody can afford it. So, so that, 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 that's kind of my thought on that. And it's kind of something that doesn't get talked about is the money wise money and money aspect of it. And then most of these contracts with these little schools have, uh, you know, clauses in them to where if it's like a global pandemic and you haven't canceled the game, 
um, you know, they don't have to pay. Um, and so I, I think money had more to do with that. But I, but I also think, you know, the Big Ten likes to fancy itself and the Pac-12 kind of goes along with it um, as the, I, the the Power Five Ivy League and all that. And the ACC has a tendency to do that too. But uh, And it looked like they were moving towards that conference-only deal. Uh, and then you saw that guy kind of uh, a screeching hog got put to that. So I think that, um, you know, that that's that's the thing to look for there with the conference only. And, and, you know, I know they'd like to play all the games and all that and as many games as they can. Uh, but I do think just because of, of the risk of positive tests competitively, I'm not even talking about health-wise, competitively, um, if you're going to play the smaller schools, you're going to have to pay for them to get right and get tested and all that before they come play. Yeah. I mean, a way the, the way I would look at it and I'm not positive, you know, the actual inside contract stipulations, but it would be taken off the top of the, of the payout. So if your payout's yeah. 1.1 million and the testing costs 150 grand, uh, well then you just got 1.1 million minus 150 grand, take it or leave it. I and mean, that's the way I look at it. That's the way uh, I do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I'll just say this and, and then we'll get to one final topic in closing. Um, if I were to take a guess, cause I get asked this a lot and I'm sure you do as well. And, and, and do not take this to the bank. If we don't have 12, my guess is we'll have 10 mm-hmm. the SEC that my guess that means eight plus two. In the ACC, that means eight plus two. And that would preserve the SEC-ACC matchups. The Big 12, uh, there's some some key games, including LSU-Texas, that are at stake here. Uh, that could keep those games in play. But if it's going to be reduced, that would be my guess. And again, there's still a possibility. Instead of September 5th, we could back this thing up two weeks. We could back it up all the way technically to the first week of October and still get 10 in yeah. without major interruption. So I, th- that to me are the realistic um, possibilities. Again, that's, that's barring uh, catastrophic results in the next week and a half, but th- that's just an educated guess based on people I've spoken to and, and data that uh, I can read just like all of you can read. Yeah. And that's based on not having uh, a narrative that I want to force feed everybody out there because uh, I just want everybody to think like me. I don't believe everybody should think like me. And I really don't have uh, a prerogative or any political agenda. I want to see football just like the rest of us. But um, if it doesn't happen, look, my, my life will go on too. I can, I can assure you of that. Yeah. Uh, one, one final thing I wanted to throw out there. And it kind of ties in with the decisions of uh, the Ivy, the Patriot, the MEAC, the SWAC. I thought David Pollack had an interesting take, whether you you like it or not. But he was saying, uh, what if these conferences play in the spring as kind of a regular thing? Like, who would not want to have college football once the national championship game is played for the FBS, well, let's still have it go on for all these other uh, programs and give them more of the spotlight because there's a huge hole. You know, once that final playoff game is played, we got to wait like another seven to eight months for college football games. And we all know how much people are chomping at the bit. We also know how group five and FCS gets marginalized because we live in a power five world 
where the same 65 schools seem to be relevant <clears throat> uh, in, in many uh, eyes. And the other ones get, you know, again, kind of marginalized, quite frankly. Yes, their games are televised. Yes, um, there is coverage of them and they're, they're talked about, but we all know they're not competing for the same thing. So he was bringing up the point, why not have the, the big boys, so to speak, play in the fall and the other schools play in the spring? I like the idea. Um, I, I think that, too, if you could uh, boost the TV money for those schools, maybe they don't have to go play the bye games. You know, in other words, they don't have to go, you know, play at Alabama and get, um, you know, their brains beat in for a couple of million so they can fund their athletic department. Because when you're, you're more in the spotlight, you know, that becomes a more attractive TV product. And, and I, I think for the Ivy and the HBCUs um, and a select number of FCS programs, that makes all the sense in the world, maybe the Southern Conference, because you have people that care at that level. Um, and I'm just talking FCS. And, and maybe some of these teams that jump the gun and win the group of five can go back, and it'll be really cool. Because And you have tradition. I mean, you know, you have Southern and Grambling. You have Harvard and Yale. Uh, you know, you have outstanding rivalries in the Southern Conference like Furman and Citadel. Um you know, I, I think that when you look at it from that standpoint, those are attractive games that all of us that love college football like to watch. And when you put it on a bigger stage, it becomes a more valuable TV product and probably would be a nice way for the NCAA, since the NCAA kind of runs that level of football, uh, to make some money uh, off of it. Because, you know, there, there's been all these pro leagues that have tried to launch in the spring. And I don't think it, they folded because of lack of interest. I think they folded because of lack of resources. Um, I think it's proven that people will watch football in the spring. And, uh, you know, heck, I'd be all for it, man. Now, now, you know, there's always the question of what about the guys that want to go to the draft from that level and all that. And all that could be worked out. But I, I don't think Pollock's completely wrong. I mean, I think that's a, that's a fascinating thing. I, I've also thought about, you know, maybe they need to move – Maybe they need to play all the bowl games after the playoff and play those in the spring or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I keep wanting to do something with bowl games in the spring. But anyway, that's a good idea uh, for David Pollock. And I think football is such a popular sport that you know, it, it, it could survive two seasons. I mean, we have two seasons of soccer, I think. So mm -hmm. uh, I think American football certainly could survive it. I, I see a lot of good there. I, I know there's a, a, a lot of uh, knocks on it as well, and uh, I would I would certainly yield my opinion on that to the people that that run those conferences and those leagues and those playoffs. Maybe they they're maybe they're thinking, hey, look, we don't want to be in the spring. We we like our place in the fall. Uh, I've broadcasted uh, FCS playoff games, and to your point the the amount of passion and interest from those schools it is immense it's terrific um and i you know i've done games in the group five and conference usa and sunbelt and the american and those people love their sports too they just don't have the money and the resources that the power five does it does not mean that they lack any of the same interest and passion um and so in a way I wouldn't mind seeing them get 
a bigger platform, but I'm sure there's a lot of knocks on that as well. I think that's a story much like you and I have been talking about a group five playoff for years now. Uh, I, I think that would only help that level of football because realistically, even if it goes to eight, they're, they're never going to, they're not getting in. They're not, unless they are, unless somebody says in a mandate, we reserve this slot for group five minus UCF a few years ago, nobody's getting in in an 18 playoff and we've got what five more years of a 14 playoff um i just think a a group five playoff could give something to those schools and generate some tv money because i promise you there will be a taker to buy that that separate playoff jc this has been a fun Uh, it's been serious but fun at the same time and it was great to talk some actual players and teams and season type stuff with phil Steele. our thanks again to phil for joining us and uh, episode number 111 of J.C. and Morgan has been epic in its own right. Yeah, triple ones. I want to say one more thing just quickly about the coronavirus and, and sort of what I've been talking about. A lot of people will mistake in, like some of my rhetoric about it for, you know, a, a coronavirus denial, denier or whatever. Th- that's not true. I look at I look at this thing when I talk on, on this podcast and others strictly through the prism of college football. Will we have college football when we won't? Um, and, and to me, when I look at the data, I get very passionate about, you know, folks ignoring facts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Under no circumstances do I think the rising hospitalizations that we have, more people getting sick, more people dying in, in any way should be making, you know, taken lightly. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it strictly from a college football thing, and, and I, I'm – I know, you know, when I throw around some terms and stuff or say some things, some people may think it's, it's political or it's part of the greater debate. No, I'm just, it's strictly about college football and, and, and this debate we have as it relates to the sport. I'm glad you said that. And, you know, we, we don't get political at all uh, on this podcast because I don't think that's what people want to hear on no. a college football podcast, just as if they don't want to see it in their coverage of college football. Uh, some people just can't resist the urge to inject their politics into it. For the record, uh, you and I both wear masks. Um, yep. You know, even, even in a state like Georgia where I reside, where things opened up early, uh, a, a lot of the stuff, first, first of all, didn't open up early. Um, you do wear masks. They take your temperature in a number of places. Uh, and so I, and always practice social distancing. This has taken, it has cramped my, uh, my lifestyle of having several block parties, JC, uh, where me and the kids love to twerk and, uh, and just get down. So I, that has, it's put a little dent in my social life, but yes, even, even I, the wild party man have been able to uh, resist those urges. So a good point. Yes. Uh, and we all encourage everybody to do everything necessary to stay safe and to, to keep uh, the spread of this virus uh, down. But from a college football standpoint, uh, I haven't in one man's opinion seen enough to tell you that I don't think there should be a college football season and I'm holding out hope that there will be. And hopefully we'll talk more about that next week when we've got some more concrete news. Until then, he's JC. I'm Mike. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening.